0: Hey everybody, uh, this is Pat Mulroy. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We do this every day. I'm the supervisor at the World of Learning Institute and the World of Learning Institute provides virtual world language instruction and other courses like calculus and chemistry when it's difficult for a school or district to find a teacher. We're here to talk to you today about what we do every day. And what we do is try to make learning in the virtual world authentic relevant and engaging you can contact me at pmulroy at the world of institute.com for more information and we're going to get right to it today because we have a busy busy schedule uh, talking about googling academic integrity um, and what happens in the world language class when kids use that google translate um, so with me today i have Lauren McMinn and Olivia Grugan. They've both been here with us before. Um, and they really make the world of Learning Institute tick. They are awesome. They keep us um, moving and grooving. And they ask really hard questions. That's why we're here. We started talking about our courses and you know, how do we make them non-Google translatable. So uh, I'm gonna let you two introduce yourselves and give a little introduction to how we got here.
1: Right, thanks for having me back, Pat. I love it here.
0: <laughs> so, I love it when you're here too. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, so I am a virtual learning specialist um, at the World of Learning, and I um, my background is in French teaching. Um, loved French class in school, made it my um, major in college, and my career. So um, you know, I had traditionally taught in, in brick and mortar classrooms, and that was my training, and then. Um, I think three years ago I had this opportunity to start teaching with the world of learning virtually and that transition was a big shift for me because you know I have to admit like at the beginning, I was a little bit skeptical like how do you form connections online, how does it all work. You know, and this wasn't you know as well, maybe for me as well known or as well studied, you know prior to the pandemic Um, now I think we all have our views on. You know, a lot more people have have been touched by virtual instruction than I had been at the time starting out. Um, and I was really surprised like so pleasantly surprised by how I could connect with learners online virtually. Um, and I think that's sort of our like the, the pride and joy of world of language learning is that we have those language sessions live and the students can learn authentically with us. And we really get a sense as instructors of what the students can do in the language. Thanks for getting us started with that, Lauren.
2: And um, I I will tag on to that. I am also a virtual learning specialist, like Lauren. And my um, teaching, uh, brick and mortar teaching background, is as a social studies teacher and then a Spanish teacher. And I have, um, in my personal life, a multilingual experience. So I also speak German and Arabic. Um, And so, like, I will not repeat what Lauren said because my experience was very closely paralleled hers about a year earlier um, of making that virtual shift pre-pandemic. But in both environments, in-person and certainly virtually, probably more in quantity-wise, virtually, I think anyone who's listening who's a teacher has had the feeling, you're reading something and you just know, this is not from my student. This is not their work. And in fact, I think the very first time I ever experienced that, which for me has always been sort of a sinking feeling, that sometimes shifts towards cynicism as you get kind of mid school year um, and maybe outright frustration as you get towards the spring but I think I first experienced it when I taught kindergarten in Palestine and I would send home a class pet every week um, or maybe over the weekend I sent home a class pet which was a stuffed animal for a student to take care of over the weekend and they had a journal and they would like journal what the the stuffed animal did with them that weekend. It was a way to get to know kids and connect and they could come back and tell us about it on Monday. And I got back this journal entry that was like, all of the drawings were beautiful and perfect and everything was colored within the line. And it was so clear that a parent, maybe because they're really excited and having fun, like it's not necessarily a negative thing, but it was so clear that, not just had a parent been involved in it, there were no signs of the child in that journal Mm -hmm. entry. And it was kindergarten, you know, and maybe there was a good reason for it. I don't know. But I just remember looking at that and being like, do I talk to the parent about this? Is this okay? Is this, you know, and the child wasn't really able to share with the class about their journal entry because it wasn't theirs. And maybe the family had run out of time, you know, like there's so many different ways to think about it, but this was with a five-year-old. So I think we can experience it in any environment and, um, one of the things I think about is like, what assumptions do we make in that moment? So if you've you've read something, and you're like, this is not from my student, or if you looked at something, this is not from my student. I made the assumption that it was the parent. I made the assumption that the parent was overbearing in that moment, or, you know, was trying to create an image of their child that was a false image. Those were my assumptions, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's also like biases, like If it's not at the beginning of the year, when it's probably, we're probably mostly making assumptions, but there's certainly bias early on too. But let's say it's middle of the year and I kind of know this student and there's either a pattern or not a pattern. Let's say there's not a pattern of it. This is a quote unquote good student. And I look at it. Oh, this is a good student. They must've just slipped up or Um, Maybe it really is their work, even though you have that feeling in the back of your head, you're like, it's not, but maybe you give them the benefit of the doubt, right? (laughs) Versus like a student that halfway through the year, you're like, oh my God, here we go again, zero, right? So like, how does, how do our own feelings about students like affect how we respond to that work too? So I think those are pieces that regardless of what subject you teach, I would imagine that you,
0: if you're a teacher, you have some connection to those experiences, right? Oh my gosh, Olivia, that's so funny. It reminds me, I was a elementary principal for a little while, and I also obviously had kids my own. And I think my own personal kids sent in the worst project because I was like, "Nope, not helping you. The teacher will know," and I'm not putting myself (laughs) in that situation, right? (laughs) Like, Like, no way. Like, they're gonna know if I did the project, so not doing it. It so oftentimes, you know, my kids had my daughter was really good; she was artsy. But my son, he he could have cared less, and I think. Some of it has to do with relevance too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we talk about authentic, relevant, engaging. And so if the assignment isn't engaging and the parent can't get the kid to journal, maybe they have bad writing. Maybe they're like really ashamed of what they're what's going on. I mean, like you said, there's so many biases and so many assumptions that we make around kids. But like we were so into this conversation the other day that I said we had to turn this into our podcast today. So let's like kind of keep running down that cheating, Google translating, Kind of stuff, and let me like kind of let's dig into what we're seeing in our own courses and what kinds of things we're doing. So, um, Lauren, why don't you just give us a little insight about sure. our original conversation?
1: Yeah, so I think you know we we are a hundred percent virtual. So um, you have to ask yourself like, is that Maybe the risk of students translating is a bit higher in this environment, just because you know they are working asynchronously three days a week so um, i'm not seeing them right right in front of me, you know if I ask a task of them so. um, It's you know it it, it maybe lends itself more to that, so we have, you know, but I think it can happen in any situation like Olivia is talking about Um, and. I can definitely tell when a student has used Google translate I want to say that but Google translate (laughs) has gotten really good. Um, The technology is good and the, the giveaways are when students are using advanced structure and vocabulary beyond their level so like the subjunctive mood in level one, for example, you typically don't learn that until like four, traditionally like four years of study so um. You know, students can put something really simple in English into Google Translate and it can spit out something in French that's not wrong. So, you know, I try to like Olivia kind of mentioned this like stay curious in that moment like when I read that, you know, I I start wondering a few things like my first thought is I probably the assignment was too hard. I mean, I try to think the best of my students, right. Um, Maybe it was just too hard and they're like grasping at something right or was it a little bit like if you give a mouse a cookie right so they looked up one word and then they're like oh yeah that's right and then they put in a few more words they're like yeah 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 yeah, that's what i would have said you know and they start just like going and then it gets a, like it spirals right um something broke down for them where they had to go searching for something that they felt like they didn't have right um and i know that google can be a tool like It's right there it's in your browser we are like we're Google people right, so we like just open up right away and we start looking and you know I do try to encourage my students to use. online dictionaries like word reference is a really great one, because you know Google doesn't always understand the different meanings of a word so I want students to kind of think about is this a noun is this an adjective how do I want to use it what are the different contexts and meanings that yeah. this word has um, so that's where I try to get them to think about those nuances
0: yeah I think context is important and you know using it as a dictionary maybe that's something you think about right Olivia
2: Yeah. I mean, I think Lauren and I were just peeking at Google Translate yesterday because it's become more sophisticated. And I think you could make the argument that it can serve as a dictionary as well. Like if you put in a single word, I put in the word casa for house, and it actually connects with Google Images without changing the page, you know, right there on the page, you see a bunch of images of houses, which is really sort of a um, picture dictionary, right? Mm. And so if it were a word, what's it called when a word means two different things, a homonym? Sounds same, means to everything. Sounds if it yeah, were like a homonym, we same. would know which one it was referring to because we'd see the picture, right? We should
0: Google that homonym.
2: We should Google <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> I think, you know, a lot of teachers that I'm seeing in like talking to in conferences and seeing online and blogs and stuff are talking about teaching kids how to use Google Translate appropriately. And I think that's wonderful. Like in all of the tools that we offer our students, whether it's a virtual tool, um, a thinking tool, right? Like abstract or concrete. Mm -hmm. We need to teach students, obviously, how to use them. That's probably one of the more valuable things we can do um, Mm -hmm. in today's world is teach them how to use tools. But Lauren, like, hinted at something that I've been researching more. And I, it's a language concept, language acquisition concept, but I bet it applies in other subjects. So I'm sort of thinking, like, I can throw it out there. And people in other subjects can think about what the equivalent might be. But Linguists talk about linguistic breakdown, which is this like really dramatic kind of term, right? You imagine your car breaks down. And it is sort of dramatic. Like linguistic breakdown is when you know, even in our first language, in whatever in whatever language we're we're interacting in, it's when our skills are no longer adequate to handle the task at hand,
0: right? The communicative task. Mm-hmm. So um we've probably all been on a development too though right i mean that's vygotsky so if you think about that in any other context so in linguistics it's linguistic breakdown around what they're capable of communicating in and if you turn back to vygotsky you know he'll say that they can be stretched you know think about reading and you know when kids get to that what they call frustrational level you can't even look that up in a dictionary either people like when I first said something about frustrational level people looked at me like that's not a word but it is there's this like frustration that happens when kids get there.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. and so like if you know applying Vygotsky in the zone of proximal development like we our expectations for our students need to be at or slightly in, in terms of what we're actually creating right so when we're in in class, like we can offer lots of opportunities for our students to exceed these expectations. But if we're going to assign, if we're still in a traditional environment that's assigning a grade to something, and the grade is viewed as valuable to the students, right? They they have some inherent buy-in to that concept of getting a good grade, then the grade is incentivizing the behavior in a certain to at least a certain degree, right? Which is a whole other set of issues that maybe is a future podcast Pat. But I think um, so <laughs> if we're grading students then we need to be expecting things that are reasonable for their level of acquisition. And the beauty in the language world is that our national organization, Actful, has done tons of work and research to really define proficiency levels. And to some degree with the United States government that does this with its foreign diplomats and its foreign service, we've figured out, and there are decades of research that kind of say, It takes at least this many hours of exposure to a language to get to this proficiency level. And are there going to be a few people in any subject, right, who are like savants and widely, you know, who like exceed your expectations from the get-go? Of course. But if our students have had one year of language and we are asking them to produce full sentences and we're penalizing them when they don't, okay, so in that moment, I am asked to do something I'm not ready to do. Like if I asked you right now, if I gave you four or five words in Chinese and then said made a sentence, I'm either going to give up or I'm going to go to Google Translator. I'm going to go somewhere else because I don't have the skills to do that yet. So I feel like at the heart of this conversation is setting reasonable expectations for Mm -hmm. your students.
0: Yeah, yeah. But that's a
1: big shift, you know, because I think traditionally, like a lot of us were, we, were trained in that way you know like that was my sort of language teaching experience as a student and then sort of student teaching that's how what I observed other teachers doing. So I think you know it's like it's a shift I don't think everybody's there
0: yet well, or I when also you say think there's a huge okay. shift, though, like, if you think about it, there's a huge shift on what education is for right what is education for and we were all taught me me even more so than the two of you in a very industrial age like I sat in rows of 40 kids you know there were 40 kids in my class we might have like five rows of eight like and that kid way in the back was that kid who was like this is stupid I'm just gonna put my head down you know put my Mm -hmm. sweatshirt up over um so I think you know we have to think about what is it for because I think you're right we got taught and we got taught how to make good questions for tests and You know and some of them might even be to trick kids like oh there could be three or four right answers Mm -hmm. that's only you know only hitting them at one level of understanding right so if you're good at school and you're good at memorizing then you can be really good at some courses because you know what you're going to be you become that kid who's good at school and I think it doesn't help and this, I'm getting all philosophical here. It doesn't help our society as a whole to be better. If we have a whole bunch of kids who can be little robots because Google is there, you can get any quote unquote knowledge, but how, what do you do with that knowledge is really what we, I think want to be asking kids, what do I do with that knowledge? And so, you know, think about it. I mean, as adults, who are creating these courses, these learning experiences? What is it that we expect of kids, and why do we why do we get disappointed then when they Google Translate?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, go ahead,
0: Livia.
2: No, we just. I mean, this gets it. This is like bringing us back to kind of where you started, Pat, which is like, how do we create assignment? Like, we were sparked by this maybe unattainable question, but that's like a fun one to pursue. And I think sets us on the right track, which is creating what is the assignment that can't be Google translated? That's the equivalent for a world language teacher, right? But it might be like, what is the assignment that can't be plagiarized? What, you know, Whatever word you want to put on right. there. Um, and one answer might be like, that doesn't exist, right? And that's like, or, or it, even if it, it exists, you can't make a whole year's worth of assignments that way. Because there's a point at which you want students doing something that um, you know, you want them writing a short paragraph at some point in a language course and a short paragraph can be Google translated, but that's something that we want them doing. So we're not going to avoid something that we
0: want them doing. But just we because... are going to ask them to use, you know, I mean, we want things to be research-based, right? I mean, we do want to teach kids how to do good research, how to know, like, what's, you know, how to use Google appropriately, like, because, you know, I mean, they are going to use some search engine and there might be something even better than google at some point they're going to use some search engine just like we used to go to the library you know and and get out books from the card catalog and that would and then what we would do is we would take that and we would synthesize that information and i still think that that's a good practice because that leads you to a deeper understanding of the content whether it's you know a math problem you're trying to solve because you want to you know, create a filter so that you can use salt water, you know, as drinking water in a place that doesn't have any fresh drinking water. Like what's what problems kids see the problems out in the world. Like, you know, is you know, I mean, oh god, this is getting even bigger. They're like, is schooling in these isolated, you know, we just heard Heidi Hayes Jacobs last week, you know, is schooling in these silos appropriate, you know? And you know, talking to Janelle a couple weeks ago, you know, how how important is the community? Like, and can the kids go out in the community and use these skills?
1: Yeah. And I think over the years, like I had so many students who they just weren't like, they just didn't maybe grasp the grammatical rules or the verb conjugations, but they were so great in class and they could communicate and they could, they had a great ear. They could you know, Capture those structures and really sound it. Like I would always say, you know, oh, I could drop you off in Paris tomorrow and you would survive. Like I'm not worried about you, you know. But would they have a good grade in my class? Like maybe not, you know. And what does that say about the way that the class is set up? Um, And and I think teachers need to look at that.
2: Right. And that's great. the
1: heart that's the heart of that non translatable
2: assignment like it actually does exist in a way like because you know it because you know that that student is a student you could drop off in Paris so like in language that's what we call proficiency like what can you do with the language which is not always the same as what you can like I mean one version of what you can do is writing it on paper or answering questions, but another version is like a very authentic talk about authentic. Can you like just interact with a brand new person in the language? Mm -hmm. And it's hard to capture that in a grade. And yet each of us kind of has a feel with our own students if we know them, you know, whether they're capable of doing that. So like to get really concrete about it, like what are you incentivizing with your grading? Mm -hmm. If you say you're gonna get in any subject, if you say you're gonna get a point off for each spelling mistake, that's fine if spelling is really important for the purpose of that subject, if it's the kind or for the purpose of that assignment. Like if it's an assignment where spelling is gonna really hinder some outcome, but be aware that if you're taking a point off for every spelling mistake, you're incentivizing something, good, bad, ugly, whatever. And it's probably in the case of a language, you're incentivizing going and looking it up. And like you said, it's a give a mouse a cookie. Once you're there, it's hard to get back to the student. It's hard to get back to their own authentic work because they're already there,
1: right? And it's just well, sending the wrong message because our, we can learn so much from our errors as, as language learners. And you're just give, taking away that opportunity,
0: you know, Well, you know, a couple of years ago, I had a teacher come to me at the end of the class and she said, this student got an 88, but you know, they missed three weeks of school and half of their assignments were turned in late and they're really not that good at the language. And I said, well, you know, they did the work though. It doesn't matter. They did the work and the work was able to be done in an inauthentic way. Right. I said, so what are you going to go back and say, well, you can't really do it that well. So I'm going to, even though you earned an 88 in the course that I made, I'm only going to give you 68 because you're really not that good. Like, which makes us, you know, like, so, I mean, and I think that's the question we were all struggling with as we were you know, kind of talking about this, we're looking at our own courses and we're saying, how do we make this? We say we're authentic, relevant and engaging. And are we? And are we getting an authentic assessment? You know, and I think some of that came because we were even talking about, you know, in the live classes, students have a certain ability that maybe we're not assessing enough, Mm -hmm. you know, like because that's where they are producing, or they're demonstrating that they can receive input right and you know you know by what things they're moving on the screen if they really understood what you said right so right so how do we reward and recognize right, and how do we reward that? that because we're i think we're incentivizing on some level olivia like you've talked about we're incentivizing clients on some level you know like that they, and which is why they're going to turn out into Google, you know, and I don't know, sometimes it just. Yeah, so
2: I have an imaginary assignment that doesn't exist yet, but I thought I could throw it to you both, um, and you could pick holes if you think there's, or we could just leave it open-ended for others to comment on. Um, can we do that? Do you want to hear it? Yeah, think- absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so, yeah, um, again, it doesn't exist. So like we can flesh it out as we're going if we see holes in it. But this is an assignment that in the language context would evaluate um, students' interpretive skills, which is one of the three modes of communication. You know, historically, people probably called it like a receptive skill, right? So that's, I mean, at least half of language is less is receiving language, right? There's a two way street here. So it's an it's an interpretive assignment. You a teacher records themselves telling a short story could be like, a children's book story, although it'd probably be good if it weren't a familiar story, but used a lot of familiar vocabulary, right? So they're telling a short story. It's got lots of proper nouns in it. You make, you know, you've got characters, people's names, places, maybe stuff that's familiar to the students, right? Like maybe you take some names and places from their own community or context and um, you have, you know, 90% language they've been exposed to and maybe 10%. This is you know, zone of development stuff, Pat, for you, maybe 10% they haven't been exposed to yet. So you don't have linguistic breakdown. They feel like they're getting most of it, mm-hmm. right? And there's a moment or two where they're like, oh, you know, what might that mean? It's auditory, it's recorded. And the student's task is not to write anything in the language or record anything in the language. The task is to draw a storyboard of the story that was told, right? So they have to sketch it out. Maybe you tell them how many blocks. So, you know, maybe even in your audio recording, you say block one, you know, and then tell a little bit of story block two. So it's scaffolded and supported. So they don't have to think about like how to do a storyboard per se. Um, And then in the instructions, you say that, you know, how the students are going to be graded. And maybe you're really explicit. Maybe you say something like, um, include the characters that are, and this would be written in English because you don't, we want to be, testing their comprehension of the story. You don't want to be testing their comprehension of the instructions, right, uh, unintentionally. So in English, you'd say something like, include each of the characters in the story. Um, Maybe you want them to label a couple things, label the names, label the place, whatever you want to have in there, and that that's how you're going to grade their comprehension, right? And then that's what they're submitting. Um, Could that be Google translated? Would it incentivize authenticity? Is it relevant? I don't know. What do you think? Is Is it it
0: relevant? relevant? I mean, I think. I mean, obviously, this conversation is going to continue. This is not. This conversation (laughs) is not going to end here um, because we're going to run out of time. But um, Lauren, what do you think of her idea before we close?
1: I love it. Um, Yeah, I, I. I think as if the student has opportunities to listen multiple times, I think that then it makes it. You know even more scaffolded. I think, you know, I, w- I would be hesitant to do that um, one shot and, you know, in the class um, live, but I, I really like that concept of um, instructions in English, not testing the instructions, having the students produce something that feels like their own. So if you have a particularly artistic student, they're like drawing all these details and they're getting into it. So it feels relevant to them in that way. Um, Student you just stick figures are totally fine too. I always say that. Um, and just, yeah, I think if maybe if they heard a word, they might say, is that the word? And they might look it up. I think she's saying, you know, woman, and they might look that up. I, I don't know if we even wanna discourage that. I mean, think about, you know, when you travel to a different country, a lot of people carry around that little pocket dictionary and they, and they wanna check things and they wanna know, you know? Um, I wouldn't even say that that would be cheating necessarily, um, you know? they're using their audio, like auditory processing and they're checking. I think that that's like, they're learning so much just by doing, and isn't that what we all want, you know?
0: I love this conversation. This has, this has just been, I love talking to you guys. And so if you guys really want to know what happens at the world of learning, these are some of the conversations that happen, I mean, pretty much on a daily basis. If it's not between one or the other of us, it might be all four of us, it might just be you know, me and Lauren or Olivia and Lauren or all, you know, all three of us started this conversation the other day. And we thought what better place to do it than kind of in the public eye a little bit. And so we welcome um, any comments. We would love to have comments on this and hear what you think about how we uh, really consider academic integrity, but also what's our role as educators To really create assignments. And one of the quotes I found um, toward the end was really thinking about what will hold up in the workforce. We can't simply have kids doing what we tell them because that's really not the key. And you all know it as being um, virtual workers. You know, like I don't say to you, okay, here's your list of things to do for the day and set you off on your way you kind of you know we talk about what our goals are in the organization and then you create your schedule around that and around your classes that you teach and so when you grade when you do that and we don't do that for our teachers either we don't say okay you have to grade everything at three o'clock in the afternoon you know i mean everybody really has to learn to be self-directed critical think you know what's your motivation and you know hopefully they're the things, not like Lauren, what you were talking about, how we were taught a certain way. And so that's kind of what we perpetuated. So we have this great opportunity to move forward. So you guys up for coming back for another round of this conversation?
1: Oh, yeah. There's a lot
0: more to say, and I love that we are able
1: to talk like this and, and realize that it's a, it, it, it's a shift and we're, we're we want to be in it. You know, we want to be forward thinking
0: that's yeah, exciting to me. It's exciting to me too. And I'm really thankful that I work with a team of people who we can you know, have these hard conversations and sometimes like agree and push back on each other. And I think we always end up with a better product for kids. So thanks, Olivia. And thanks, Lauren, for joining me today. Um, you can find us at theworldoflearninginstitute.com. Uh, lots of our stuff is there. We've got a blog um, and we also have this podcast. We do it every day. So thanks for joining us. Have a great day, everybody.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Pat.